0: Our text this morning comes from Romans chapter 11, and it's a smattering of few different verses because I love you enough not to make you have to listen to all 32. Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glorify my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, out of Zion will come the Deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, They too may now receive mercy, for God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Tell me, when was the last time you broke a promise? You said you would do something but didn't do it? Or you said you would be somewhere and you didn't make it there? Or when was the last time someone broke a promise they made to you? They said they would do something and then didn't do it, or said they would be somewhere and they weren't? I know all of you have stories on both those sides, if you're honest with yourselves and with God and with us. in our house, uh, there, there's always this joke as our kids got older that we have three answers to questions of things to do, either yes, no, or my favorite is we'll see. We'll see just is a, the same as no, but we want to give them a little bit of hope to cling to until we say no. Uh, par- parents, grandparents, are, are you there? I'm, I'm not the only parent, Right. You don't want want to say, oh, yes, we'll do that, and then not do it, right? As well as you don't want to completely crush them by saying no right away. You want to give them that little bit of hope so they understand that life is about getting used to disappointment, right? (laughs) Well, the problem with promises is two things. It's commitments and responsibilities, right? You make a promise. You have to be committed to what you say you were going to do. It, you have responsibilities then attached to that that commitment. and we're, we're seeing in our in our society today less and less people committed to particular things, especially to things that previous generations were always committed to. Uh, we, we can use the example of marriage. Marriage rates are dropping all over the world. People are just not getting married. They're either living together or just not being in relationships at all because relationships are hard, am I right? Commitment is hard. And and even though there is that apocryphal tale going around that 50% of marriages end in divorce, it's actually more like 37%. It's not 50. So there's some hope there, but that's still, you know, one in 3 which is not the best number to have. It's actually imagine this, it's actually a worse percentage for second marriages. It's closer to two-thirds of second marriages end in divorce. You'd think it would go the other direction because you would you would like remember all the mistakes you made the first time and you wouldn't make them again? But it's like we double down? I don't know. I read that this this week and I'm sitting here going, dude, that's I didn't think that was the case. But but why is it? We have a struggle even to do the simplest thing of get up in front of God and everybody and say, I promise to love you and not kill you for the rest of our lives. (laughs) But you take two sinners and you put them in a room together, especially for a long period of time, and uh, we know each other's buttons and what to push and and to anger each other. But it's not just marriage stuff either. Uh, PTA. My son is a junior. I've never joined PTA. And you talk to people in PTA and they're not able to find enough parents. Why? Because there's meetings. I don't like meetings. I don't wanna go to meetings. I have enough meetings in my life as it is. But I'm not the only one. They're having a hard time trying to find parents to be part of PTA. Uh, The American Legion and VFW have been having a hard time finding veterans to join. Uh, Lions Club, boys and Girl Scouts having a hard time finding members. Uh, church, there, new member class uh, is is postponed for today. Correct? Yeah, yeah. But but if you aren't a member and you didn't go to class last week, it's okay. You can come next week, right? Yeah, yeah. And join. Um, part of the reason why we don't join organizations, why? Because there's commitments, there's responsibilities, there's meetings, there's things that we're supposed to do. These, these commitments, the, the responsibilities that we have when we make a promise to say yes, I'm going to be part. Of this. Well, another problem that comes along with that word promise and, and the problem with, with promises is that in order for us to understand God rightly, we have to have an understanding of promises because God is a promise-making God and he's a promise-keeping God. And so when we have a hard time keeping our own promises and we look around the world at everyone around us seeing that their promises are failing too, and then God comes to us and speaks to us of a promise, are we more likely to believe him or no? No. If we can't believe our neighbor who tells us, I'm going to do something, how can we believe God when he says, I'm going to do do something? And yet... What we've had over the last how I can't I've lost count, Pastor, because I don't know how many weeks it's been, but it's been it's been all summer. Yes, um, we started this before it was raining, and now it's raining. Um, but our study of Romans, Romans one through eight, is Paul screaming at us the promises of God over and over. And over again, drilling it into our heads that, that we might uh, uh, understand what this promise is, these continuous promises, multiple promises that God gives to us in light of our faithlessness and our lack to trust him. Uh, Ro- Romans 1:16, the the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Just trusting that it's powerful. That it's going to do what it says. Or, or 3.24, we are declared innocent or righteous in Jesus as a gift. Romans 5.1, justified by faith, we have peace with God. And yet we spend the majority of our lives pretending that we don't. Romans 5.8, this is one of my favorites. While we were still sinners, Christ died for who? Us. While we were still unlovable, God loved us. Romans 6.3, one of our favorites, Pastor Chris is of mine. Buried with him by baptism into death and raised to new life. I love that promise. Promise coming to us saying, you died and you live new. You are buried with Christ. You have died and you're hidden with Christ. Hmm? Is, that a good, is that a good promise? Yeah. Romans 6.14, you are not under law, but under grace. That should make you scream hallelujah. Even though that's not very Lutheran. Not under law, but under grace. You are freed from sin. 6, 20, that's Romans 6.22. Romans 7, four. you belong to Christ. Romans 8.1, one of my favorites. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Romans 8.16, you are a child of God put into the will through adoption. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or Romans 8.39, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. That's a promise. That's not just a nice little thing we put on t-shirts or coffee mugs and sell to a Christian bookstore. Those a promise is spoken to you. Of God's work. God being for you. You having a God. That is the promise. And this God is for you. He's made a decision about you. And then Romans 9 through 11. Is this whole struggle. That we have with this God. Who's making all of these promises. And then Paul is trying to deal with. People asking questions. About ifs. And it all has to do with tackling this question of god's trustworthiness if salvation is by faith and not works if god doesn't change and is one whose word has not failed that's romans 9:6 and here's the question then what do we do with israel what do we do with israel if nothing can separate us from the love of god what do we do with Israel because the whole entire story of the Old Testament is the story of God making promise after promise after promise to a particular people and he never breaks his promise in the Old Testament so what do we do with that what we do is we trust in what God has already done. Romans 9 is this pouring out of God's love and grace through election, through God's decision, deciding about you, deciding about his people. The history of Israel is God doing that all the time. Him picking Abram, an idolater in the land of the Chaldeans, and saying, you're mine, go. And Abram goes, and he becomes Abraham. And and God says, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And then God says, oh yeah, I'm not picking Ishmael. I'm picking Isaac. Pastor Chris talked about this. I'm going to pick the child that shouldn't have been born, that everyone laughs about and goes, wait, what? Oh, and then by the way, I'm not going to pick the strong, ruddy, warrior Esau. I'm going to pick the lying, conniving Jacob to be the one through whom the promise continues of God's promise. And then God leaves them and Egypt for 400 years, wallowing in misery, building the pyramids. It wasn't aliens, by the way, no matter what the History Channel wants to tell you. And then he comes and he rescues them through the mouth of Moses. Even though, if you read your Bibles, they were idolaters then too. They had all sorts of gods. They have to be told regularly, put those other gods away. You've got Yahweh. He's made a decision about you. He's chosen you. He's made you a promise. Or Ezekiel, I am doing Ezekiel right now in my in my podcast, and, and last week we are dealing we are finally to the point where Ezekiel's doing all these prophecies against the nations, against the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Edomites and the Philistines. And you're sitting there reading this, what does this have to do with me? But then you start to realize that God is, is pronouncing judgment against these nations because they had the audacity to rejoice that Jerusalem had fallen. And it's a whole lesson of the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That God still loves his people, even though he's punishing them, even though he's disciplining them, even though they're going into exile for 70 years, God's love never fails. And God's promise still is there for them. The, the whole story of the scriptures is God's stick to when we walk away. It's removing all the expectations that, oh, I'm really going to have faith this time. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And instead, it is God gifting to us faith and giving us something to believe in, this promise. Romans 10, send out the preachers. That's what it's all about. Speak this word of grace. Speak this promise again and again and again, because we'll always forget it. Speak the promise that was gifted to you this morning in Isaiah 56. I'm going to gather a people that don't know my name. I'm going to gather all the nations to me, God says. And then we get to Romans 11, and it starts with that one question Has God rejected his people? What's the answer, church? No. No. Because he's a promise-keeping God. He has stayed true to his promise that, that Israel's is a great nation, a holy priesthood, a chosen people. Promised a redemption, a new life is going to come to them. Jeremiah 31. We get that every year on Confirmation Sunday, on Reformation Sunday. I'm going to write my law on your heart. No one's going to ever have to tell you, know the Lord anymore, because you're already going to know me. Or Ezekiel 37. The dry bones... One of my favorite chapters in all of the Old Testament, can these bones live? Oh, well, you know, God. Okay. And then there's God knitting them all together, putting flesh on them. Getting, you know, God bringing life, saying, this is my people Israel, and I'm going to bring them life. God making a promise. Even speaks of it to Elijah, that there's this remnant by grace, by gift, that God has made this decision to hold his people close to him, even the people of Israel. This remnant, Irrevocable gift, he calls it, that God has set his face upon them. And with that, then we also take it to mean that God has set his face upon us, upon you. That's what comes in the sacraments with our baptism. You may not know this, but our baptism is tied to Christ's baptism. When you are baptized, when a child gets baptized, remember at Christ's baptism, what happens? The heavens part, and what? We hear a voice, right? And this voice says a particular phrase. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When you are baptized or you get baptized, that is God making a decision about you. God speaking over saying, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Or in the supper, what is the promise gifted to you? My body broken, my blood shed for who? for you. Not just some random person on the street, not you, but you, for you. I like how Paul wants to deal with this jealousy issue. And I always, every time I read chapter 11, I always think of like, you've gone to a party, right? And somebody shows up and they bring a gift for one person that's at the party, but not for everybody else. And some people get jealous, right? Because they're like, You didn't bring enough to share. You didn't bring something for for everybody. And here here you have the Israelites, the Jews, getting upset because they're sitting here going, wait, 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 wait. You Greeks, you have your gods. You have a lot of them. Leave us ours. We want ours. We only need ours. We have one God. Don't take our God. We want our God. You have Zeus and all those people. And here, Paul's saying, yeah, so they're going to be jealous for a little while until mercy comes. That Israel's momentary rejection of the gospel has led to the ministry to the Gentiles. Because remember, if you read in Acts, the story of Paul is what? He goes to the synagogue, and what happens? He gets, they don't like what he has to say, and so he goes to who? The Gentiles. The reason why you're sitting here in the church is because of what happened with Paul in Acts. But then God is saying here through Paul in Romans 11, but soon, because God keeps his promises what will happen with the Jews? They will be shown mercy. They will be gathered in. Because if he doesn't follow through with the Jews, why should we trust him? If he can't keep a promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, how can we think that he's going to keep a promise to us? Hmm? Have you ever thought about that? The whole story of God is keeping his promise. Being a God... That we can trust to keep his word, despite our stubbornness, despite our pride, despite our arrogance and thinking it's all up to us, despite our desire for control, despite our disbelief, our unbelief, and all these things. Robert Capon, who's my my favorite theologian, uh, talks about faith and trusting God's promise uh, in two different ways. The first one, uh, you decide to go home this week and you're going to paint your house. So you get up on the ladder, but the wind picks up, you fall off the ladder, you hit the pavement so hard, you break up multiple bones in your body, and now you're in traction in the hospital. And you're going to be there for a few months between healing and therapy and everything. And I walk into your hospital room and I look you in the face and say, your house is painted. That's trusting a promise that what I'm telling you is true. And Robert Capon goes on to say, all you have to do is trust that when I come to you and tell you your house is painted, that it's painted, and then you get out of the hospital and you go and you find out that your house is what? painted. The other one that he talks about is, uh, let's say we're, we're in LA and we're walking past the Rose Bowl, although nobody walks past the Rose Bowl, but anyway, we're walking past the Rose Bowl and there's this huge party barbecue, you can smell the ribs from 10 miles away, and, and there's people outside the, the stadium handing out tickets, free tickets, you don't have to pay for them. And usually for us, as human beings, we are more likely to go, wait, 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 wait. what's the catch? Is there a catch? How can this be free? And all we have to do is take the ticket and go in the stadium instead of thinking, no, this needs to cost me something. I have to do something for this. this there has to be a catch. They're, they're going to steal my identity and sell it to China or something, Right? But no, that's trusting the promise that is made that it's free, that it's for you, and that it's a party for you. That is trusting the promise. For us to cling to the gifts of God that come to us in Jesus Christ, is to trust that God has kept his word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation and will continue to in your life. Cling to that church. Cling to the promises of God, especially those wonderful ones that we get from Christ, right? Like, though one dies, yet shall they what? live. For I am with you always, even to what? To the end of the age, clinging to those promises. May that be so for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.